Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 120, The Mushrooming World of Mushrooms with Jeff Chilton. Brought to you by Occupy Medical. Occupy Medical is a free integrated health clinic in Eugene, Oregon. We are a 501c3, so your donations are tax deductible. Go to occupy-medical.org. And Candace Hunter Creations. Candace Hunter Creations, teaching groups and individuals how to create health and wellness through natural living. Learn more at CandaceHunter.com. And Hunter Creation, graphic design and website designers, where their motto is, yes, they can do that. Look up, look, look for, for them to do your, new, your next website or rebranding or other marketing materials. You can visit them at HunterCreation.com. And Ace High Heat Graphics. If you're looking for custom-printed shirts for your company or organization, look at them at AceHighHeatGraphics.com. In Asia, mushrooms have long held an esteemed place among medical and herbal practitioners. Here in the West, they've quietly awaited for us to awaken to their medicine. Luckily for us, pioneers like Jeff Chilton, commercial mushroom grower, founder of Namex, an expert in the medicinal mushroom industry for over 40 years, have opened the doors to a fungal pharmacy. Today we're talking with Jeff about the science and evolution of mushroom medicine in the West. Now here are your hosts... Candace Hunter and Susier Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter and I'm Susier Lupe and, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Welcome Jeff. Welcome to the Real Herbalism Radio. Hey, I'm very happy to be here today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. So, I imagine you're what in cloudy weather, right? I am indeed. Yeah, this is uh, <laughs> this is pretty standard Northwest Coast weather. Um, not very sunny, but at the same time, I really love this climate because it's evergreen and there's lots of water. I love water. I love being around water in water. So yeah, this is this is nice. Yeah, truthfully, that's part of why I moved. We all, Patrick and I, moved to the Pacific Northwest. I mean, we're down in Oregon. I, I thought seriously about British Columbia, but Patrick said no. Mm. So we're here in Oregon. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, well, a little bit sunnier down there than we are, but yeah. uh, pretty much same ecosystem. It's all evergreen. Yes, yes. And it's replete with mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we go mushrooming every fall here. Yeah. In fact, uh, this year, it was okay. It wasn't the harvest that, that we got for, uh, at least on my end, the chanterelles was only okay. And then the mushroom show, the Cascade Mycological Society puts on, and we were kind of low on the coral mushrooms. Didn't yeah. have as many as we would have liked to show the public. There's about three, 300 different mushrooms that we have at that mushroom show. It's just a little thing that goes on at the end of October. And we were, we were sad that we didn't have as many as we normally have. But, uh, you up there and, and you're in British Columbia right now, currently. Jeff? Um sorry, I didn't I didn't catch that. Oh, you're in British Columbia right now? I'm in British Columbia. I'm actually living on Vancouver Island in a in a uh, small little community on the external co coast. Believe it or not, this is where I live. It's called Tofino and it's the surfing capital of Canada. Ah, Canada has so a is surfing that why, Canada. Is that why you moved there so that you would get into the surfing world? Or were you are you a, like avid surfer? Oh, I wish, but I'm afraid I got it too late. <laughs> oh, okay. 
So what was it that brought you up to Vancouver Island? Well, I, you know what, I, I actually moved up to British Columbia in 1983. And uh, after, um, I just finally decided that it was too busy down in Western Washington for me because I'd spent, you know, I grew up in Seattle, spent uh, um, uh, my university career there and then moved to Olympia, Washington to work on a mushroom farm. And I, that was 1973. And it was a large commercial mushroom farm. There's only two commercial mushroom farms in the Pacific Northwest. One is in uh, Olympia, Washington, and the other one, guess is guess what is in Salem, Oregon. Oh, Yay. so yeah, so, I know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, I, I worked on that farm for ten years and and growing growing mushrooms for food. And and the cool thing about it was that while I was there, we had a Japanese scientist who was working in the research and development department and. He was growing these really interesting, what we called specialty mushrooms. He was growing shiitake, he was growing oyster mushroom, and he was growing enoki taki. So I was exposed during the 70s to other commercially cultivated mushrooms, besides, of course, being an avid mushroom hunter and was out in the late 60s and 70s collecting wild oh, yeah. mushrooms. But that introduced me to other species and that kind of opened up the door for me and, and, uh, into looking at other things besides just, um, edible mushrooms and just the agaricus mushroom was what we were growing on that farm. Hmm. Wow. That's pretty impressive. So is that where you and Paul Stamens met? Yeah, actually, actually, uh, um, when I was working on the farm in Olympia, Paul was actually a, a, a student at Evergreen uh, Evergreen State College. And so we met there. And then in uh, 1983, we, we co-authored and co-published a book called The Mushroom Cultivator. And believe it or not, it still sells 5,000 copies today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised. It's like an industry standard. Yeah. It's hard to improve upon it. <laughs> well, it was, it was a, you know, it's kind of a milestone in the sense that uh, up until that point, um, people would be out looking for mushrooms and there really wasn't a lot of good information about growing mushrooms. And mm -hmm. so that book came out at a time when interest was starting to increase in mushrooms. In fact, the seventies and the eighties were an amazing time for a mushroom interest, interest, certainly in the Pacific Northwest. And there, there was a number of mushroom conferences. In fact, we had a group called Mycomedia. And we sponsored four yes. mushroom conferences uh, in the Northwest. The, the last one that we sponsored in 1985 was at Brighton Bush Hot Springs. And yeah. then they took over after that because we kind of stopped and have been having mushroom conferences there ever since every fall. Nice. nice. <laughs> I remember when yeah. that one came through. That was fun. I wish I could have gotten to it. So the you see, it seems like there's been a lot of changes in the mushroom industry over the last few years. You're throwing out some of these old standards, uh, the shiitake and the oyster and the enoki mushroom. But boy, people have been using mushrooms that that uh, had been really ignored in the West now commonly. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of press on them. How did that even begin? You've you've been watching it well, and participating. Yeah. It's it's interesting because you know I really you know when I started growing mushrooms especially I mean you know you can imagine I'm on a garicus farm we've got uh, millions of pounds of mushrooms we're growing there every year now I've got shiitake mushrooms and enoki and oyster and I'm eating mushrooms 
just, you know, almost daily. Uh, nice. and, and I'm living with mushrooms. I'm literally living with mushrooms. And here's the, the coolest thing of all about working on a mushroom farm. Normally, a farmer is going to see what, how many crops in a lifetime? Maybe 50 crops in a lifetime. Right. The seasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the mushroom farm, we, we initiated four new crops every week. That means wow. uh, basically 50 uh, new crops uh, every year. Wow. And, and I was there for 10 years. So I saw 500 crops of That's- mushrooms. That I mean, you learn. You really can learn. You can really get in depth with them. Oh man, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. So, so it was really a great experience. And and as a a grower there on this farm, which ultimately I was production manager, um, it was something where you know day in day out, I'm there. I'm going through all the houses. I'm watching every stage of mushroom production there. So, and I loved every minute of it. I I was really. Uh, felt fortunate to be there. And, and the funny thing was, is most people there <laughs> didn't want to be there because it was kind of like the lowest level of farm labor you could get to in terms of <laughs> Why? compost and smell. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. Like all the neighbors complained because they were like, oh my God, what's that composting smell? <laughs> Try living next to a pig farm. That'll, yeah. that'll make you change your mind about mushroom. So well, well, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But think about this for a minute, Sue. I mean, it was like we we were making three hundred and twenty tons of compost per week. Yeah, uh, that is a lot. That's a very earthy scent you yes. were generating. <laughs> and you know what? I, 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 you know, ultimately, I mean, if if you're doing the compost correctly, the smell is not it's that not bad. bad. But no. the problem is sometimes you have a bit of anaerobic areas in the compost and then it can be a little bit more like rotten eggs and so sometimes you'd have that smell but you know most people and this happens to mushroom farms all over the u.s is that they're out in the the middle of farm country and outside the city and then the city keeps growing until it engulfs them and then all Mm. of a sudden you've got people complaining or it's out in the suburbs and then people are like you know i moved out in the country but man i don't like the smells of the country yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so do you just do you just look at them and say, "Go back to your tall building, city slicker." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know what they do. Here's here's the funny thing is is that ultimately they are forced to to act, and what happens is they put in a perfuming system. <laughs> what? <laughs> and, and believe per- me, no. But, tell but, me about that. What does that even look like? Well, I mean, they have they have this system uh, around the perimeter, and every I don't know twenty feet or something, they'll have a, a mister. This is that a Chanel the, number five or something. Well, what? yeah, number number seventy seven. I don't know. <laughs> sure, well, I can imagine it, if you did like exactly, mint or it's lavender. A very sweet, sweet smell, and uh-huh. not something that I enjoyed, but that's what they did, and that's what happens sometimes with mushroom farms. But, oh, but you know what? Here, here's the thing: that's is hilarious. is that, um, in, in 1989, I, by that time, after having read a lot, I realized that, um, there were things out, mushrooms were used medicinally, not just for food. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it was a much more interesting place to be in terms of a business because with fresh mushrooms, like fresh vegetables, you have to get those to market or they spoil. Yeah. And, yeah. If, if you and they're mostly mushroom, water anyway. So 
Well, yeah, and and you're you're a babysitter. Yeah. One. yeah. So, and you've got, let's say you've got all these different houses. If you get up to a commercial level, you've got multiple houses that you have to tend to. So you can't leave ever. Right. And then you have to get the, the fresh product to market. And, and whereas with, with my products that I sell, we, everything is a powder. It can stay on nice. the shelf for a few years and, and nothing changes. It's still good. So that's a real difference. And I realized, wow, in terms of, being in business, that is that is much much better easier. Yeah, wow, that gives a lot more flexibility for people that they're interested in, in natural medicine to be working with the the powdered mushrooms as opposed to the powdered herbs. I mean, powdered nettle sure doesn't have that kind of stain powder. It's no, got chlorophyll, yeah. which dis, is destroyed. There's a lot of flavonoids that sunlight destroys, but not so with mushrooms. Why is mushrooms that? Don't have those, uh, they don't have those volatile compounds that are going to, to go away. Although, you know, some mushrooms like uh, shiitake, they, they have, you know, shiitake. I don't know if you've ever been around a, a box of shiitake, but there's a, a wonderful, strong, pleasant odor from shiitake. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, you have to preserve shiitake, uh, dry them right away and get them, get them, um, bagged and sealed uh, to maintain that that odor shiitake in, in chinese is called shanggu and that means fragrant mushroom and mm-hmm. let me tell you a shiitake farm where there's like thousands of them growing there it smells wonderful it's got to be heavenly that just sounds wonderful to me <laughs> so yeah. so so when i was when i was in um in 1989 i, I took my first trip to china i went to a a conference there sponsored by the International Society for Mushroom Science, of which I was a member. And that that opened my eyes to what was going on in China in terms of they are the heartland for mushroom production. So for so during the 90s, I went to research institutes. I went and visited farms all over China from north to south, east to west. I visited mushroom farms. I went to research institutes made lots and lots and lots of contacts over there. And in 1997, since uh, my business was rolling along and I really believe in organic production and organic certification, in 1997, I took OCIA to China and we did the first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China, 1997. Wow. And and that be- began the the organic mushroom industry in China from that point. Mm, that's amazing. So were they growing things organically in China at that point? No. At all? No. Whereas now there is a huge industry over there. And, and here's the cool thing about China. I mean, they are organized. Yeah. They, you, you ask them to produce something, they can get started and... Uh, you know, a year later, they're producing whatever it is. They are very efficient. Um, the other thing about it right now is they're doing so well that almost all of their new structures, new buildings, new industrial buildings are state-of-the-art, brand-new, beautiful facilities. I mean, when I'm in China, I ride around through the countryside on brand new 300 kilometer per hour trains yeah it, wow. it is 
absolutely amazing. This is this is one of the most modern countries in the world, and and their freeways are probably better than I five. I'm not nice. kidding well, you. It is, that's not saying much. No, yeah. I, mean, no, not, not, I mean, I-5. I mean, I've been I've been driving the I-5 for 40 years, and when I drive it now, I'm like, my God, this this road is getting a little bit rough. And mm-hmm. you're over in China, and all their they've got freeways that are brand new, and um, so it, it's a a country that that can respond very quickly, just like they responded to my organic certification initiative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they are, so, they're strong with science. I mean, they're, they really, they have a lot of, they do a lot of studies and that sort of thing. Well, and the fact is, is that, you know, the idea that they have dozens of mushroom research institutes in China, whereas in the United States, we literally have one research institute for mushrooms and that's at Penn State University. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, we don't have what they have over there. They've got hundreds of researchers working on mushrooms, how to better produce them, how to develop better quality cultivars. China today produces over 85% of the world's mushrooms. Wow. Yeah. That's wow. A- so what's the impetus behind that? Is it just because it's a great commercial crop or is it the medicinal qualities or some kind of environment? What's going on with that? What's well, I, th- I think the key there is that, is that A, Asians have been eating um, multiple different species of mushrooms for hundreds and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. They, it's not just been one mushroom. They've been into mushrooms for a long, long time it's an old friend. Uh, and cultivating mm-hmm. them for a long time. In fact, shiitake cultivation started in the 12th century in mm-hmm. China. So that's a big part of it. And the other side of it is Taiwan and Japan back in the 70s, as China was opening up and getting reorganized, they took a lot of their production into China and set up a lot of farms in China growing mushrooms because they could do it cheaper there than in their own countries. Because mm-hmm. of the land? And then, of course, you know, and, and then, of course, just like um, just like now, I mean, you know, a lot of people complain about China, but the fact is, is that a lot of Chinese business and industry are foreign companies like U.S. companies that have gone to China, set up factories, Europe has set up factories, and then they ship the products back to either the U.S., Europe, or wherever. So a lot of what has happened in China development-wise has been because of Western countries. Hmm, That's interesting. I just read a couple of days ago about a Korean company that was setting up a brand new uh, a mushroom facility in Germany that they were just just breaking the ground for that. So I guess it's kind of going both ways now. The Practical Herbalist Press, that's in addition to our website and our podcast. That is right. Practical Herbalist Press is all about providing really good books and information by written by experienced herbalists. Us. Us. But others eventually as yes, well. Yes, that's very true. And it's bite-sized information that we research the heck out of. We have medical information out there that we're really doing a lot of research on. We are we have growing gardening with herbs. We got stuff for about pets, your yes. home, your family. Ethnobotany. Ethnobotany. Mm-hmm. We also put it in terms of the traditional ways we've talked about historic, herbs. Historic. Like yeah. Historic, mm-hmm. whether they're warm and cooling, that right. sort of thing. Mythical and very practical stuff. The Practical Herbalist Press is dedicated to providing the best herbal 
related books on the market. Look for our titles on Amazon, search for the Practical Herbalist Press, or visit our website at practicalherbalistpress.com. Yeah, well, and that's interesting too, because, you know, one of the bottlenecks in uh, mushroom growing, just like over here, one of the bottlenecks for producing mushrooms is harvesting. There is no mechanical harvesting for mushrooms at this point in time. Oh, so it's all hand done. Oh yeah. man, let me tell you, a mushroom farm over here, a Garricus farm, for example. I mean, in, in the United States, the Garricus farms are all done indoors. So you're when I was on working on the Garricus farm, we had miners' lights that we were using. Wow. So we would walk through the houses with a miner's lamp on, and all the harvesters would be doing the same. And and it was uh, an indoor climate controlled environment, but you're inside this uh, dark house. And, and it's not because mushrooms can't or need to grow in the dark. I mean, you know, you know, you heard the joke about yeah. mushrooms. Oh, they're keeping me in the dark and feeding me bullshit. <laughs> I mean, the fact of the matter is, is, is that mushrooms actually need light to yeah. mature properly so mm -hmm. that, uh, but agaricus, is one of the few mushrooms, the button mushrooms, one of the few mushrooms that doesn't need light, which is kind of interesting. But most mushrooms need light to grow and mature with a proper form. Otherwise, without light, they will have a um, long stem and a very small cap. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And that's not normally what we want with a mushroom. We would like a fleshier cap and a normal stem. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a common Thing for mushrooms, they they have to have light to to uh, uh, go through their proper physiological cycle. Well, I know with the oyster mushrooms, like the dove grays, and then in other places you can see the the blue, those blue mushrooms. Well, oysters was the farm that I worked on. Oh yeah, they at, with the different kinds of light, then that'll give you different colors to the cap, which is well, pretty beautiful. Well, you know, and. and yeah, and and here's the thing too is that even back then the the original agaricus was a brown mushroom, mm -hmm. but then in uh, then in nineteen in the nineteen twenties a white mushroom appeared in a house in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. a mushroom house, huh. and they cloned it, and that began a, a lot of different uh, hybrids that they developed that were creams, off-whites, whites. But oh. the brown was the true agaricus bisporus. And today it's interesting because now they sell that as a cremini. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just a button mushroom. That's just a button mushroom. It's the yeah. same as the, all, as the white button mushrooms. And they sell a portobello, which is just a mature button mushroom. Right. So... So, you know, we call it a button mushroom because we harvest it as a button right. before it actually opens up and you're able to view the, the gills. So mm -hmm. so it's kind of a lot of uh, marketing, actually. And even back in the day, the whole thing was, OK, how many um, how many pounds of, of white mushrooms do we grow versus the browns? And there was always kind of a different mix. OK, what does the market want? Do they want whites or do they want browns or, you know, so. That's always been there, and it just kind of goes back and forth, but they ultimately got smart and started to market it in a different way, giving it some really interesting, fancy names like Cremini and Portobello. And <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is funny. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think the key thing here and, and what, what everybody should understand is that mushrooms are great foods. They, they are um, 
high in carbohydrates, and those carbohydrates are have a lot of fiber in them. So, so mushrooms are feeding your microbiome. The yeah. other cool thing about those carbohydrates is that the the um, carbohydrates that make up the cell wall are called uh, beta glucans, and beta glucans are a polysaccharide. And so, the cell wall of the mushroom is over fifty percent beta glucan, and beta glucan is the active compound in medicinal mushrooms so that so that basically even if you're just eating mushrooms you are getting those medicinal compounds and again it's it's primarily the beta glucans but there's uh, some other compounds in there ergosterol which is the fungal sterol is is a good compound it's just it's just a very very excellent food there's there's uh, b vitamins in mushrooms mm-hmm. And, and and here's the thing too to, to to remember is that no one can can give a exact nutritional breakdown of a mushroom because every mushroom species is a little bit different. So so the protein level of a shiitake mushroom would be around fifteen to twenty percent, but the protein level of a agaricus mushroom is around 35%. Wow. So there's always that variation between species in terms of the actual nutritional content. So that's something where, where again, I, I can't just say, okay, here, here it is. This is what a mushroom is. It's not that way. It's not like broccoli or some other vegetable where you can say, okay, here's that vegetable and mm-hmm. here's the nutritional value of it not that way at all yeah i mean it would be like saying trying to give the nutritional value of herbs right what, you know yeah, it's a really broad vast. category yeah yes. and even storage yeah. my my uh dinner last night consisted of shiitakes that i revitalized and i put them in the put soaked them they were dry and soaked them in the in water outside so that they could soak in some more vitamin D. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you've got a good vitamin D tip, don't you, for making your mushrooms more filled with vitamin D. Right, Jeff? Um, you, what did you say you did with the mushrooms? You oh, put them- I, I had dry, mush, dry shiitakes, and yep. I crumbled them, and I put them in a mason jar and added water to them and put them outside to soak, hopefully soak up some vitamin D. That was yeah, my idea. I don't- I don't you don't know. think you that put, works? Well, you put them in water. I put them in water. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Uh, you'd be better off just taking those shiitake and you'd you'd set them out in the sunlight with their gills up. So you're exposing the gill there, and and that would be the best way to get vitamin D. I'm not sure what to, whether the water. I, I don't know enough about exactly how the UV rays work and how they penetrate into water and, okay. and things like that. So I, I'm not certain. But here's kind of an interesting story: is that is that when you travel around China in the harvest season, which is is November in in many of the areas where we grow our mushrooms, there are dried shiitake on racks everywhere and they're they're out alongside the roads uh, um, all over the farming areas you see racks and racks and racks of dried shiitake all gills up but here's what's happening because they are westernizing and mechanizing more and more shiitake growers now are using indoor uh, forced air dehydrators mm, yeah so so what may have been uh, initially a shiitake mushroom that they're producing with with a high vitamin D content 
it would will ultimately no longer be the case. And and uh, uh, what has happened now too is that is that they have developed a a type of UV light, high energy pulsed UV light that are, is being used now for mushrooms and other foods that will allow you to say put mushrooms or mushroom powder on a convey conveyor, and as it goes by, this light will will uh, blink on and expose expose that to the uv and and raise the the vitamin d content of it and that's pretty much what's happening these days uh in fact there's a, there's companies in the united states that are producing agaricus powders and mushrooms you've probably seen them before i mean i i was down in the u.s um sometime in the last year where i was in a whole foods or something one of the markets and they had mushrooms on the shelves with with stickers that said um uh, increased vitamin D or enhanced vitamin D or, uh, or high vitamin D. That's or how they're doing that's, it. So I know Ostrom's is doing that, and and some other companies are actually selling um, agaricus mushroom powder that has been vitamin D enhanced. Mm-hmm. That that's fascinating because I've I've wondered when I've seen those why how how are they doing it? Right. Yeah. Explosive they, kryptonite. We don't know. Yeah, they've got a special light system and, and you know it's fine there's there's nothing wrong with the way they do it, it, it it's fine it's not you know i can imagine that at some point uh there'll be a product out that says sun-dried shiitake mushrooms probably yeah mm-hmm. yeah which like, would be the ones you'd want if you didn't get the enhanced kind well i mean i mean yeah. i mean we're all kind of looking for something that's a more natural yeah. process if we can and and yeah. a more national um natural way of growing things and and that ultimately for me i like that i think it's important i like something you know my food grown out of the ground rather than out of a bag of sawdust with uh with some kind of nutritional water fed to it yeah i was going to ask you about that because you know i can go to my local grocery store and i'm not talking about the fancy one that's got all the organic stuff the local cheap grocery store and i can find big boxes of shiitakes are those likely to be the kind that are grown off of the sawdust or are those, I mean, I would assume. Well, well, you know, when I say sawdust, what I'm talking about more is our, our, our products like cucumbers or tomatoes that are grown hydroponically. Okay. Shiitake mushrooms are grown naturally on wood. They're cultivated on wood. So any shiitake mushrooms you're getting are either grown on a wood log or a block of nutrified sawdust and both are good both are just fine here's the interesting thing about shiitake and mushrooms in general and if you hunt mushrooms you probably know this and that is um in japan they have grades of shiitake and the highest grade is a shiitake that is grown in low temperatures and the reason is that a low temperature shiitake will have much denser flesh because it's slower growing ah so so a lot of a lot of shiitake that's grown in North America, you pick it up and it's light as a feather and the flesh is very, um, uh, it's not yeah. dense at all. It's lightweight flesh. And, you know, that is a low quality shiitake. And the reason is that people are growing them in higher temperatures because they want to pump these things out. They don't want yeah. to sit and wait for two weeks or three weeks to get this shiitake to maturity when they could get it out, let's say, in one week and, and push a lot more crops in. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. 
Thanks for letting us know about that. That's a, that's a lot of mushrooms to digest. So if I really wanted to take my shiitakes that I bought at my grocery store and boost them with as much vitamin D as I realistic, realistically could, I could take them and lay them gills up out on my back patio in the sunshine before I cook them to supersize Absolutely it. Absolutely right. And, right. Absolutely right. And then that would also work with the dried ones that I purchased, probably in my case from the Asian grocery store in the massive bag because that's what I do. <laughs> so yeah, I could yeah, take those would, too. That would, uh, although, you know, some depending on the, the um, quality of those, because sometimes yeah. you can get uh, more buttons that are really enrolled cap and, and are high quality, but maybe the gills aren't very well developed or exposed on those. Um, a, a lower quality shiitake actually, you know, if it's dried, will not have as much area to be exposed. Right. Um, and, and, you know, with a, with a quality mushroom, the cap, as soon as the margin of the cap, the outside uh, edge of the cap starts to flatten and then curl up that that's a older more mature mushroom you really want to get a mushroom where the margin of the cap is turned down mm. kind of in a classic mushroom shape but it's kind of turned down and that that's really the the best stage to get your mushroom in that is good to know that's awesome well, you know, it's, just, it's just like going out hunting mushrooms when i go out hunting mushrooms and i'm with friends and and a lot of times i'm seeing mushrooms and they're going oh wow let's get that one that one i said no no leave that one it's too old and it's and it's uh you're going to be waterlogged and, yeah. and they're all like why are you why are you leaving all these mushrooms out there we want to take them i'm like look there's plenty let's just get the good ones yeah mm -hmm. yeah going all the all the trouble of going out in the woods and getting all muddy and dirty you should bring back treasure <laughs> yeah that's what you should do be a yes. good pirate not a bad yeah, pirate. Uh, yeah, it is a treasure hunt, isn't it? Mm -hmm, it, it truly sure is. is. Well, and that's why that's why kids are the best mushroom hunters too, because oh, yeah. they're like they they love the treasure hunt, and they also they're close to the ground. They that's can true. Yes. That is true. Yes, boy, yes. well said, sir. Well, thank you very very much for being on our show. I, I really appreciate having you here and taking time to talk to us. And how can people get a hold of you? Well, they can come to our website at uh, namex.com. And that's N-A-M-M-E-X. N-A-M-M-E-X. We have a lot of information there and um, a lot of educational material where we're doing our best to educate people about mushrooms, especially mm -hmm. about the quality differences in, in mushrooms. And although we haven't really touched on that, I think it's important that people know that a lot of products on the market are not actually mushroom. They're actually what's called mycelium and the mycelium is grown on grain and the grain is not separated from the final product. Yes. So, I have read about that. Oh, and so if, you see, if you see these products and they say mycelium and then sometimes they'll say in the other, they'll sometimes they'll actually tell you about the grain. Sometimes they won't. But the fact is, is that the grain is the dominant part of those products and you don't want to be buying those for the starch, which is what most of those products are. It's just mostly just starch. starch. And for yeah. people that are uh, grain sensitive, like celiac, or just people that are gluten sensitive. Well, a lot of times they do them on brown rice. Brown so it'll rice. be, it'll say if like the capsules, mushroom capsules, a yeah. lot of those are, if you look at the ingredients, it'll say myceliated rice or myceliated well, brown rice. Mm -hmm. is, is that, is that 
people really are looking for mushrooms and that's not what you're getting because there's no mushroom in that. It's all mycelium on grain. And, and, you know, this is, this is nothing. This is an, uh, all a process that's been around for a long time, but, but what actually it is, it is, it is what I would call, uh, something more like uh, tempeh. Mm-hmm. And you know what tempeh is? Tempeh mm-hmm. is actually a fungal mycelium that is grown on cooked soybeans. Moldy soybeans. And that's, and that's what this is. And can you imagine? You've got tempeh, and then you dry it, grind it to a powder, and sell it for 10 times as much money as a supplement. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good job if you can get it done. That's exactly right. And mm-hmm. and here's the here's the issue. The issue is that mushrooms, you can grow them as food in North America. Mm-hmm. And you can get $5 a pound for your shiitake mushrooms. But as a supplement, you're selling it as a dried powder. So so it's 90% water. So all of a sudden, you have to get $50 for that pound of dried shiitake. It yeah. just doesn't work economically. Mm-hmm. So they grow this very inexpensive mycelium on grain and sell it as mushroom. And that's what I don't like is the label. When you look at the label, it says shiitake mushroom, reishi mushroom, with a picture of a shiitake or a reishi. And it is not mushroom. It is mycelium on grain. The grain's not separated from the final product. And it's unfortunate because people end up buying it thinking they're getting a mushroom product. Yes. And and let's make sure we do the super, super fast primer. Mycelium, mushroom. What is the difference between them? Mycelium is what we call the vegetative body. So the mycelium is what is growing underground. It's growing in a piece of wood. It's the part of the fungal organism that's spreading through the substrate, gathering nutrients, uh, breaking down things. It's very important for as a part of the ecosystem. It's it's breaking down a lot of organic matter. When the season is right, like in the fall, Mm -hmm. temperatures drop. It rains a lot. It will it will put up a mushroom, which is called a fruiting body so mm-hmm. we've got mycelium vegetative body we have mushroom which is fruiting body they are two very very distinct parts or what we would call if we're herbalists a plant part they're two different yes. plant parts and they have very different qualities a, a mushroom will produce a lot of compounds that the mycelium will not and and the issue is the products, even the people that sell those products, if they, they say, oh, mycelium's got a lot of research, pure mycelium, but not yeah. mycelium grown on grain. And we've done a lot yeah. of testing and we've demonstrated that those products are in general anywhere from 30 to 60 percent starch from the residual grain. Well, it sounds like this is the contents of yet another podcast. We have got to have you back. Yes. You are a fountain of information. Well, yeah, we didn't even scratch the surface on my favorite subject, which is um, quality control of mushroom products. Yep. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. So let's let's just commit to having to having Jeff let's do this back. again. Definitely. Yes. yes. It's it's a bond. We we have we have air shaken on it now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jeff Chilton uh, from Nemex, thank you very much for being with us, and we look forward to speaking with you again. I love you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA. They're not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast 
or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication. Or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem, any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.